Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yo, what's going down, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the rodeo! What's up, everybody? I'm Austin Hayden, and I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We've got Raymond. Hello. And we've got Ryan. What's up, film fans? Fresh from the Super Bowl, Ryan. Hell yeah, I went to my own rodeo. A rodeo full of Bengal tigers and rams. It was gnarly. I'll never forget it. I bet, I bet, I bet. That sounds amazing. Well, this week we're going to do the opposite. We're, we're, we're going to jump into kind of, I was going to say the opposite of sports, but it's a film about a sport <laughs> it's in a lot of knows, ways. Everyone knows riding horses is the exact opposite of playing football. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sport. Kinda. It is absolutely a sport. We're going to be talking about the film The Rider, which came out in 2017, directed and written by Chloe Zhao, which if you remember, we've talked about a couple of her recent films, Eternals and Nomadland, in recent months on this podcast. Um, it kind of stars, or I should say features... Uh, Brady Jandro, Lily Jandro, and Tim Jandro, Lane Scott, and Cat Clifford. It's a sort of um, documentary cinema verite with some narrative structure in there. Um, we'll kind of talk about exactly what the form is of this film as we get into it. But uh, yeah, as always, we'll go around and we'll do first impressions. What was it like the first time we saw it? What was it like repeated viewings? This was Raymond's choice. So Raymond, why don't you go first, brother? Um, sure. This is one of my favorite movies of the past decade. All um, right. I can't, I can't really remember exactly how it came across my radar, but it was playing at virtually every film festival when it first came out. It was getting really good notices, so I imagine that's probably how it came to my attention. Um, and when I eventually watched it, I, I had heard enough about it, and I had seen songs my brother taught me, and... Uh, just kind of based on my sort of preconceived notion of what it was, I was confident that I was probably going to enjoy it. And uh, I just sort of committed to it. It it came up on VOD and uh, I I purchased a copy of it sight unseen and gave it a watch. And by the end of it was, uh, was reduced to tears. I think it's, um, I think it's a really beautiful film and more than just a great movie i think it's a testament to the sort of transformational power of film as a medium and as an art form because this is a movie that like you said austin is it's it's not heavy on narrative it's a little bit documentary it's a little bit drama all of the actors are playing themselves or very very thinly fictionalized versions of themselves but uh, coming away from it, the movie still feels like so much more than the sum of its parts, and I I think there's a real magic to that. So uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, to hear what you guys think. All right, Ryan, what about you, brother? Well, I didn't like it as much as <laughs> Raymond, <laughs> and I, I've been struggling to figure out how to talk about this because, like, I feel like several times on this podcast, I come across as maybe somebody who who 
doesn't like slower cinema or something, which is not the case at all. I love naturalistic cinema verite films. All right. I would say it's, I'm a connoisseur of the genre. And, <laughs> and so I was, I definitely, I went out of my way. I was like, what, what, what movies that are kind of in this style do I think work? And I, and I do have kind of a short list. We can get into that later, but I, to me, this is a movie that feels like it's, trying very hard to be a cinema verite movie. I have a very cynical view of this movie, kind of. I do, I appreciate what she's going for. It's not like I think that, it, there's nothing wrong with her trying to make this movie. It was more just like, I don't think it works. And, it, and it's kind of like, it does a lot of tropes of, I think, independent films that where it's like trying to say something deeper than it is really coming across in the film. I'm sorry, Chloe, if you're listening to this, this is my, just how I feel. Um, I, I like Nomadland more. I think that that one worked more. I think that that one was more engaging as a film. And I think engaging is the, is a word that I think is, is, yeah, was lacking from this particular movie that, that, that entire long scenes when it would end. And I, and I felt like I was supposed to get something more out of that scene than I got. And it just, I wasn't engaged in the, the characters and what they were going through as much as Raymond apparently was, where he was reduced to tears. There were scenes in the movie that I thought that were great, that worked great as scenes, as small kind of little short films. And I love movies with non-actors too. That's another thing. You know, I'm a huge Harmony Kareen fan, Larry Clark fan, John Cassavetes fan, Robert Altman. Sean Baker making a lot of yeah, headlines. Sean right Baker. Hell yeah. Fucking love that stuff. Florida Project was one of the films on my short list that I think is kind of in this style that I think works. Great movie. Uh, 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 more effectively than this movie. So yeah, I hope we talk about you know naturalistic filmmaking during this podcast and stuff. But yeah, I uh, I did not love it. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, fair enough. Teaches them. Yeah, I think this is one of the best films. Oh about, god, I'm in the minority. <laughs> about America that I have ever seen. All right. Um, I think that I'm obsessed with the myth. I'm obsessed with myth making, right? Like I don't mm -hmm. care what what culture you're from. I'm obsessed with the stories we tell about ourselves. And I'm really interested in in that. And so for me, one of the kind of like fundamental myths of America is one that I was obsessed with as a kid. I wanted to be a fucking cowboy so bad. I, My mom had horses when she was younger and my friends and I was, but when I was a teenager, we used to go smoke weed and rent horses and go just ride them. There was this place in uh, out in Corona where you could rent a horse for, which for people who are listening, it's like east of L.A., um, in the 909, what up Inland Empire? I think it's 951 now, but anyway, um, we would go out there into Norco actually. You could rent a horse for like $20 for an hour, which probably was fucked up now that I think about it. But as a 19 year old, we would go and we would smoke weed and we would just ride horses at night and they wouldn't, it wasn't even like a guide. They had like these open fields and they would just let you go. And we thought we were fucking cowboys, right? And I grew up with my dad whose dad was in the military and then a police officer and had a bit of a quote unquote cowboy mentality in the not so good way kind of sometimes, right? Um, but like I was just obsessed with the, these figures, these larger than life figures of the American mythos. And so for me, as then I've gotten a little bit older and I've and I've had a little bit more of a critical lens, I've lived in, what, like a handful of different countries now. I think this is my seventh country that I've lived in now. Um, I've started to kind of see things from a different outsider's perspective a little bit more, you know? And it kind of gives me a critical lens on this myth. And not in like a, oh, fuck it, you know, it's bad, but more of like a, what is the story of the West that we tell through the Westerns and through the cowboy and... um. And so now I've gone back and I've looked at these films 
that I used to romanticize so much with much more of a critical eye. And I've started to really enjoy, you know, what sometimes might be called like the post-Western or the post-modern Western. Um, and uh, these films that explore similar themes but that do it from a different angle, right? And I think this film is the quintessential postmodern or post-Western in that it's exploring cowboys, but from the perspective of uh, American Indians, from the Lakota people, or from the particular unique experience of a Lakota person and his family, but on a reservation. Um, and so for me, I think there's something so interesting about that because it helps us to kind of like maybe like blast some of the presuppositions we might have about these these like previous understandings of things so for me this was the first time i've seen this film and i think if if i love poetic films and if i love storytelling and myth um then this is like that perfect intersection of mythos and poetry sometimes it's called mythopoetics right and i love it i I, I get what Ryan's saying, like some of these lingering scenes. For me, the reason that the lingering scenes were so interesting was because it allowed me time to catch up, right? Like if it was just fast action, sometimes the the form of the film kind of moves you along faster than you're able to actually process. But this one, the pace of it, I was really, I felt like I was reading in a very, like real contemplating maybe is a better word, with every scene, with every moment, with every relation, with every interaction. And it allowed me the time to kind of squeeze a lot out of each moment and so for me i i absolutely i think this is beautiful um i really can't wait to hear ryan's list actually because i just want to talk about other cinema verite style films as well because cinema verite is like my jam you know give me like cinema verite slow cinema dogma 95 and you can just like stick a screen in front of me for like a month and i probably wouldn't move like it's my favorite shit so this this kind of is a blend of uh, of it's sort of similar to Dogma 95 or at least some of the tenets. Yeah. It's like cinematic cinema verite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stylized. It's like it's like if Terrence Malick did cinema verite. Yeah, it's curated, Malick... curated cinema verite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So um, before we start unpacking things, just quick uh, reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, smtm underscore pod. Isn't that right? Did I get that right? My brain blinked. I think so. That's right. Yeah. SMTM underscore POD. Go ahead and follow us there. Please send us uh, voicemails and emails. I'll give you another reminder at the end of the episode because we will be doing a mailbag episode coming up here in a little bit. And then also for next week, we're going to be doing Hell or High Water. So uh, make sure you check out that. We're going to be doing Hell or High Water next week. But uh, let's get into this. Let's start unpacking it. And uh, first, I want to give just a little synopsis. So all of the characters are Lakota Sioux of the Pine Ridge Reservation. Brady lives in poverty with his father, Wayne, and his autistic teenage sister, Lily. Once a rising rodeo star, Brady suffered brain damage from a rodeo accident, which basically messed up his right hand and left him prone to seizures. And doctors tell him that uh, if he rides, it's just going to make this worse and worse and worse. Brady also regularly visits with his friend Lane, who had a similar brain injury, but uh, suffered much more damage and is um, quadriplegic and paralyzed. Is it from the neck down, or is it is it just a much more severe injury? He's a, he's in a semi semi vegetative state, right? Because he still has awareness and cognitive awareness, but it's very very limited functions, right? Yeah, um, I've read a little bit about what uh, that that actor who's once again just kind of playing himself. Um, he he does have he can communicate he can sign and things like that. he just doesn't have full command over his uh, his facilities such as they are um, yeah um but and i'm he not was, i'm he, not exactly sure what his medical diagnosis is and he was at like the top of the game he when was he a, got his he was injury. a phenomenal bull rider yeah yeah 
so um so brady spends a lot of time with him brady's father doesn't really do too much for the family and he actually spends a lot of their income on drinking and gambling um even selling their horse which pisses brady off uh brady then has to take a job at the local store to raise money for the family he also makes some money breaking in other horses training other horses and with his savings he intends to buy another horse uh, a temperamental horse named apollo but his father buys it for him and brady ends up bonding with it as he had previously with gus however his riding and refusal to rest causes him to have a near fatal seizure doctors warn him that more riding would be fatal so he returns home and brady finds that his horse has actually had an accident permanently injuring his leg and of course he knows then because of that that the horse isn't going to be able to run or do anything that would actually be very horse-like they end up having to put uh, him down brady can't do it so he has his father do it but after an argument with his father brady decides to take part a little bit later in a rodeo competition despite all the doctor's warnings but at the competition just before he's about ready to go he sees his family watching him and he finally decides to walk away rather than compete and become a rodeo rider once again. All right, but before we continue, we got to give a shout out to our awesome sponsor, Shudder. Listen, y'all have heard me talk about Shudder before. We all use it on this podcast because we're all fans of supernatural and thrillers and pretty much all things horror. So if you are like us and you love those genres, then you got to check out Shudder because honestly, this is just such a sick month. Why? Because Shudder's released the most amazing shows. And to be honest, I can't get enough. Raymond can't get enough. Ryan can't get enough. Our producer, Matt, can't get enough. With Shudder, you can stream supernatural, thriller, and horror movies and TV shows across all your favorite devices. And the Shudder streaming library has just about everything. And we are eating it up. So if you're a fan of old classics or if you're looking for the next classic, you're going to love Shudder's collection from around the world. It's honestly endless, endless, endless joys and frights i guess depending on how you uh enjoy or get scared of the horror films that you consume so we can stream all of this and more from shutter's ever-growing library ad free for just 5.99 a month so if you're a fan of the supernatural thriller and all things horror like us you're gonna love shutter and uh right now you can stream your first 30 days of shutter for free especially if you are listening to this as a wisecrack show me the meaning lover so go to shutter.com and then you can use the code show me that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com. Code show me to stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. Shudder.com, code show me, or click the link down below. Okay, back to the show. All right, cool. So now that we are able to kind of start peeling things apart here, um, I guess first things first, let's, let's talk about this difference that I think we kind of were circling around between a narrative film, a typical narrative uh stylized film and a documentary and what's the difference and how is it that chloe Zhao sort of bridges that gap a little bit raymond you got any thoughts on this um well as far as um bridging the gap in in like a most literal or logistical sense uh this this was something that when she she was working on her first movie on the same reservation and that's when she met brady and his family and uh some of the other folks who appear in this movie and she she said in an interview that she didn't have a script for this until two months before they started shooting it. It was something that she kind of had ideas and notions and she had sort of, you know, photographed Brady and some of his friends when she met them. And she just thought he was very he was very striking and he had an interesting story. And it just kind of it it, it just sort of fell into place for her narratively in a really sort of natural or organic way. 
and I think that that that's kind of what I mean when I I talk about this as as sort of a a transcendent film is that it it really is proof positive that when you are angling towards well for some folks maybe not for Ryan as much yep. but but when you uh, when you are making a movie regardless of whether it is very heavily scripted or whether it's more stripped down verite style anything in between big budget, low budget, I, I do feel like the most important thing in, in a lot of circumstances, and I, I would say across a lot of artistic disciplines, is to just try and home in on some sense of humanity and truth. And I think that for something, for example, if we're watching a movie that's really high fantasy or science fiction, you know, all the bells and whistles may be fun and interesting and exciting, but what we really care about at the end of the day, a lot of the time, you know, maybe I can only speak for myself here, but what we really care about is character and and human emotion and investment. And like, that's the thing that keeps you invested in a story. It's not just all the bells and whistles, although those can be fun too. And I just think that this this movie sort of counterintuitively by kind of aiming low in a way, by just trying to, by just trying to relate a, a very honest and immediate sense of this young man and his circumstances, that of his friends and family, um, it it just kind of like I said, it just it, it's just weirdly transcendent. I think that it it's it is kind of like a magic trick in a way to um to to be able to just not only trust these actors who have never really appeared on camera before and also for them to give Chloe Zhao the amount of trust that they did and and just to be able to mm. kind of go into this with the the best intentions and engage all of their stories on an individual level and it never feels at least not to me it never feels crass or exploitative um it's it's something that it it feels very earnest and and sincere and i i think that's one of the things that uh, I, I know I at least respond to so much with the film. Ryan, what do you think about this like division between documentary and narrative? Do you think it's like a strong division or do you think that maybe the division is a little bit more slippery than, than we typically think? I think documentary is the final frontier of cinema, Austin. Okay. <laughs> what I mean by that is I think that there is a, there's a part of human beings now in 2022 that are just kind of like, all right, I'm, I've, I've kind of seen uh, stories and tropes and cliches in cinema, you know, so much that you're like that, that the things like that, you know, that's why Jackass is the biggest movie in the world right now. It's like, uh, the, what is the story of Jack? It's, it's, it's not even a documentary. I don't know, but it's, it's taken people like real life. There's a kind of, I don't know, edginess and uh, you, it's new and unplanned and whatever improvised whatever you want to say, uh, 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 and it, it feels fun and people like that kind of stuff. So, but obviously, uh, uh, and this is something I struggle with in just my, my own filmmaking and stuff is, yeah, how, mu how much are you trying to literally capture life? Like it's kind of this, uh, like you're, you're just happening to capture, you know, uh, real people doing stuff. And it's like, oh, this isn't planned at all. You're pretending it's not planned. And then how much are you trying to use all of the tools of cinema, the editing and whatever, and, and uh, music cues and whatnot to heighten the story and stuff that I think a lot of post-modern Westerns do. 
Uh, you know, I'm thinking like Django Unchained or something like that, right? Um, but this is the opposite of that. This is very clearly, you know, to use like a, a term in a lot of film festivals, a deliberately paced film, right? Which basically a lot <laughs> of just a, a euphemism for slow. Yeah, it's boring. a euphemism yeah. for very slow. We are going to, you know, if somebody's going to eat a sandwich, you're going to watch them eat that whole uh, fucking sandwich, you know, and like really get you there. Which is a ghost story. Was it the pie? The pie. In a ghost I was, story? About, I was yeah. about to mention that. That's which, which I'd like to reiterate is not a style that I am uh, adverse to. You know, I like that when yeah. it's done well. It's just that it, I have to feel like it's earning something at the end and amounting to something. And not just, I don't know, you can kind of feel after you've seen enough movies like this, uh, th uh, it just ends and it, yeah, it was supposed to, it's supposed to hit all of a sudden. It's like, and now here's the long pause where this scene hits. Me and my friend Greg call them blank stare indie movies. This is the part at the end of the scene where they stare for 20 seconds and then we go, wow. All right. <laughs> this, we need to give the audience some time to yeah, let this one sink in. Right. So anyway. I love what you said about documentary being the final frontier and how people seem to be craving documentary. And I think what you're kind of in a roundabout way saying is that also a lot of narrative filmmaking is cliche and boring and formulaic. And not only in terms of the stories that we're telling, like, oh, okay, it's another rom-com or, okay, it's another story about two, you know, um, bourgeois white people dealing with the crises of the suburbs or not even just that stuff, but even the way that we make films. We manufacture students by pushing them through these factories of film school and we tell them how to make story. We write all these like screen books on the three-act structure, Sid Field and fucking Snyder's Save the Cat and whomever else, John Truby's Anatomy of Story which I actually really like, by the way. But um, he's got a different approach to it, but I, I, I really enjoy it. Anyway, um, but we still, we have these formulas and, and then we just reproduce them and reproduce them and reproduce them. And I think a lot of people maybe unconsciously are finding themselves really, really fucking bored. And part of the reason that they're attracted to then documentary, um, real life crime stuff, um, you know, the serial podcasts and the making of a murder sort of thing. Um, the reason that we love those things so much is I think it's because like what you just said, Ryan, it's the messiness of it. Jackass, the improv, we don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. And as soon as you can be like held in that, like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen here? I think that's what creates one excitement. But more importantly, I think that's what stimulates our thinking. And that's what then helps us engage with any piece of art, right? Because if you're just looking at something that you already anticipate, you already have all the expectations that you've projected are met, then there's no excitement, there's no learning, there's no transcendence, there's nothing in artistic terms of the sublime, right? That thing that is terrifying but also fascinating that kind of pulls you into it. Now, with that said, I think this film does have those characteristics just by virtue of it being a story about the West and about cowboys and about rodeos and about human and beast coming together, right? That sort of like makes all those binaries not exist anymore. There's like this swapping of the human versus the animal where they kind of become unified right like there's these beautiful scenes when he's training this horse and there's a respect and an admiration and a recognition of the power of each other it isn't just humanity's domination of nature which is very typical i think in a lot of cowboy things humanity's domination of the frontier right the enclosure of land um the enclosure of cattle in the pursuit of profits you know whatever this is a little bit different in in and it takes all those binaries you know of cowboy versus uh you know indian you know and and what now what you have is 
the story of the American Indian, particularly the Lakota people, and their sort of uh, own unique perspective. I don't want to just say it's standpoint epistemology, but it is. It's their standpoint that's, that kind of like destructs, if you will, that binary, and it reverses it. So what I think in my mind of being a cowboy is no longer what I thought of it previously or from spaghetti westerns or you know in john wayne or how i dressed up for halloween as a cowboy when i was four or five years old you know so i think those are the things that make me like explode out of all the formulas and that's where the excitement comes i I could see you yeah really chewing into the all the (laughs) iconography of this movie i I guess my main thing and and that's the thing it it has all the elements ingredients of a thing that i would like i like i said the the non-actors and literally what it's saying and what it's and what it's about but my main cr- criticism is just the aesthetic, the style of the f- of the movie, and and so to someone that has, I think, a similar style uh, to Chloe Zhao in, in terms of they're trying to capture humanity, you know, raw humanity is the Safdie brothers, right? So I would love yeah. to see literally these. You know, you, you were talking Raymond about how movies about characters and stuff, and I agree with you, but I do think that movies are about aesthetics and style and and how it's put together a lot too, and that's what draws people. So. Like I think that you take the same kind of structure of a movie with these same characters, these same non-actors, and you give it in, in the Safety brothers' hands, and and it's them actually trying to capture you know the same naturalistic feeling that Chloe Zhao's doing, but but with a totally different pace and whatever. Like that's to me a more entertaining movie that I would enjoy. I maybe this is different strokes for different folks, like you're saying, but I think that that if you're trying to make a movie that is putting us into this uh, this world of these these you know wannabe rodeo guys like uh yeah i don't think we needed uh as much uh uh coverage as chloe zhao gave us of these long hangout sessions i don't know that's just me though so i have so, there's so much to respond to with both yeah. you and Austin let's go for it one. raymond Hit us. first I'll, I'll go i'll go backwards first point this, one yeah point by point point, point one. one no <laughs> so uh the safety brothers actually kind of leads into something that i was thinking of uh with when when austin was speaking um because there there is an interview with chloe zhao where she talks about you know she knows the safety brothers from the festival circuit and um she talks about how much she loves uh, uncut gems and uh, she really enjoyed good time i i love both of those movies as well yeah um, how have we not done good time that add that to the list yeah, I, 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 yeah. I love the safety brothers and uh, she was saying that as much as she admires those films that even if she were so inclined, even if, kind of to your point, Ryan, even if she had a Safdie Brothers script, she couldn't do what they do. Not necessarily for lack mm. of trying, but that she feels she just has like a, a just a different internal clock than those guys do yeah. in a uh-huh. way. Like, and when she she talks about how um, when she was at uh, at NYU with Spike Lee as one of her professors that he kind of emboldened her to be like, you know, do you, do you want to hang on this shot longer? And she goes, yeah, I kind of want to hang on all every shot longer. And he goes, all right, so just hang on it longer. Hang on it as long as 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 it feels right to you. And I think there is a beauty to that. And, uh, you know, not everyone is imbued with that kind of freedom, but working as far outside the system as she was with these first two features, she really did have that that opportunity that freedom or that you know that allowance to be able to just kind of make the movie that appealed to her and 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 fit her sort of pace and rhythm Mm -hmm. so to jump from that to something i was going to comment uh with regards to what austin was saying 
I think you could see a version of this movie where she takes the sort of germ of an idea from Brady Jandro's real life because his he experienced the same uh, injury that his character did. Doctors told him he shouldn't ride anymore. He doesn't do rodeo anymore. He only trains horses now. And I could see how you could take that in a very safty direction. You know, he's... Uh, he's popping pills to to fight the pain in his head, and uh, he doesn't he doesn't want to rodeo anymore because he he knows it's dangerous and he doesn't want to get hurt, but he also has to make some money. And like you could see this character, and the like, final climax is him like going to the rodeo thing, and he gets in there and he gets on the horse, and he's just about ready to go, and then he decides at the last minute that he can't do it, right? But yeah, it's a little bit more it, like you could one hundred percent see the like really <laughs> nitty gritty version of this where where like this. This guy just lives on a wing and in a, in, in a prayer in a can of skull. Yeah, well, and uh, go on. Uh, uh, my, my my only sure, comment on sure. that is that, is that re- really the, the to me the safety connection was more just about because they have a very verite style too where they're it's it's handheld cameras kind of just cap capturing these fast uh, you know people living right mm-hmm. it's 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 it's, it's uh, uh, and that's really it was less so about the drugs and stuff. But yeah, I get what you're, I sure, get what you're saying. Sure, but I also think that the Safdie's style is a function. It like naturally extends from their, uh, from their storytelling instincts that, mm-hmm. you know, uncut gems would be a lot different if, you know, it might still be good if it were made by, um, a Martin Scorsese, but it would be very, very different. Sure. Um, yeah. so I, I think that, uh, oh, the the reason that I, I still think it's an appropriate comparison is because this movie succeeds kind of in a, as a counterpoint to that sort of more traditional narrative. And it, it, it leads back to just the thing that I keep saying about this and one of the things that I feel most about it and, and most in awe of is just how much it is kind of like a miracle because it is... I, I can't put it any other way than it's more it's more than the sum of its parts because uncut gems I think is a, a essentially perfect screenplay with regards to every narrative beat being structured as a, as a response or a rebuke to what happened before it this happens therefore this happens but then this happens therefore he does this but then this happens so he does that yeah. like it, there's just a natural momentum that that script takes on and I think one of the reasons this film is successful at least for me is be, is that her her interest in Brady not only as a character but as a real person guides this movie towards this weird kind of I don't want to say it's anti-conflict because it's not it's just that his his internal conflict that he is drawn towards this self-destructive act is so unique I think in in the pantheon of a a, a lot of great cinema because his self-destructive impulse is not inherently self-destructive in the way that, you know, gambling or uh, alcoholism or uh, drug addiction, like all of these things that, you know, the Safdie brothers would make a movie about. Someone like Chloe Zhao is content to position this story around a guy who just wants to be able to ride a horse because that is when he feels closest to God in his own words. And that thing was taken away from him by a very cruel and uncaring universe. So as you watch the film, 
you when when I watch a movie about uh well uncut gems to stick with it, I don't want him to keep gambling, but for the sake of entertainment, I want him to keep gambling. And this movie pulls off this weird sort of magic trick where you're like, God, I definitely don't want him to get back on a horse. But my God, I want him to be back on a horse because that's that's who he is. And that's where like that's what he loves. And I think that is like I, I've said it a few times. It just feels like kind of a magic trick to be able to create that kind of internal conflict where there is no wrong answer. Like there's only wrong outcomes in, in a weird way. And I I just think that that's kind of it, that's just kind of beautiful. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, was very I love this mu- because yeah. no, no, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. I was just saying I was very much on team. Uh, don't get on that fucking horse. What are you doing? Are you, are you an idiot? You retire, dude. Uh, I yeah. was, I was very much on the no, dude. You're gonna fucking die. But also, yeah. I totally get. I totally get it. Like it, it's, it's the animating I, force of his life. And it comes back know? to that thing you were talking about, Austin, with regards to Western mythology and Western narrative tropes that. In a way, this is something that he, he, like, in one interview, he talks about how he was riding bareback at one and a half years old. Like, his parents raised him on a horse, and he said his daughter, who's now, who's now I think, two years old, or at the time of the interview, she was two years old, and she had already ridden 40 or 50 times. Um, and there, there is this sense of when the sort of the the tension and the beauty of the american west as a mythic frontier and as a mythic environment or setting is sort of diffused and corrupted by the you know the unstoppable march of time and the uh the uh, dread hand of capitalism and all of these uh, all of these things sort of being reduced to an aesthetic in a way there there really is something beautiful about someone who does have this connection to it just as something as a source of joy in life rather than it's being like at this point he still is a professional horse trainer so it is something that he he does for a job but you really do get the sense that i mean i think he even says in the movie there's literally nothing else that he could do or that he could imagine doing and the notion that someone who was made so perfectly for this one thing who was so lucky to have found this one thing could have that taken away by uh, just a completely uh like un- uncaring or indifferent universe is just it, it it is the definition of tragic, and I I I think that's one of the reasons this movie works so well is that like we have a, a tendency to narrativize our lives, or at the very least perceive our lives as existing within a narrative structure, just because we've kind of been conditioned in that regard. But this is this is the 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 one real miraculous moment where like she met this guy and wouldn't you know it, his life was perfectly packaged for this kind of weird semi-heroic narrative. And it just is it feels like kismet. Yeah, and I think I, I really like what you were talking about with the distinction between like 
Chloe Zhao's internal clock versus, you know, the Safdie brothers. And um, one of the things I'm thinking of is, is why this film is so interesting is that it's also a take on the Western from the perspective of a woman who has uh, um, East Asian ancestry and has a very unique take on what it means to be American. And I think we also see something kind of similar with the film Power of the Dog, which I think we might talk about in the next few weeks or something like that. But, you know, also a film uh, about the West, but from the perspective of um, a woman, Jane Campion. And so you get a different exploration of masculinity. You get a different exploration of the human experience. You get a different exploration of the relationship between the human and the animal that sort of like breaks out of, of these tropes. And one of the things that I found so interesting about this film is Raymond kind of said, it's not that there's no conflict in this film, but it's precisely his death drive, the death instinct that that impels him forward to get back on that horse, to want to go and to do the thing that he loves to do. And it's not the death instinct that I want to die, the death instinct is really about wanting to have just pure contentment. That is to have the the chaos of your impulses, the chaos of your drives, the chaos of your pleasure seeking to be abated. And that will happen in this guy's mind, in Brady's mind, if he can just fucking ride again, right? If he can just ride again. So it's this desire that is impelling him forward that's like insatiable, right? It's, it's this insatiable thing. But then what that makes me wonder is, is there not something then also that sort of totally transforms the way that we understand conflict narratives away from like the Joseph Campbell hero's journey, which is the man of violence who kind of comes back into society um, after doing all of its struggles and then comes back in and changes society, which is what the classic Western is built on. The man of violence goes outside of the city and then usually in the Western, the man of violence is not allowed back into the town. So like in Shane rides off, end of searchers, John Wayne can't come into the door. You know, Logan even, which talks about this, right? With Logan, he's man of violence, has to use violence, but can never assimilate back into culture, right? So, um, which is a very intentional, intentional classical trope that they're exploring in that film. They, um, they're watching so Shane I, in one scene of that movie. Like it's very, that's very right. pointed, yeah. <laughs> and, and, I think, and I think that this film kind of does something similar, but without resorting to that hero's journey, without resorting to that kind of Joseph Campbell myth of the man of violence. Like instead of Brady, and I think this is partly the exploration of the Lakota experience as well, but rather it being than being just simply a man of violence, what you have is a man who is integrated. Um, a man who struggles with rather than over on top of um, nature, environment, etc. And that might be con confounded because we see him still like as a cowboy in, in a rodeo setting. And so there's a sense in which uh, the kind of typical pressures of capitalism and, and Western cultural society are there. But I feel like he's not just trying to embody those things. There's still something a little extra. There's something a little bit different um, than, than kind of what we're typically fed. And so I, I found that to be kind of really interesting as as the real conflict was was this young man with his deepest desire that's the real conflict right um which was really about him and and maybe like the pressures of what he thought he had to live up to you know there's that one bit where the little boy comes up to him in the store and gets his autograph and really looks up to him and and you can tell that that's like one of the most heartbreaking things for him is is that he's no longer going to have that He's no longer going to have that that stature. And that's one of the things that impels him forward is he wants that stature. He wants that fame, you know, which is part of the reason I think why he 
in some ways he idolizes Lane and he watches a lot of Lane's footage as well because he wants he wants the, the, the striving for greatness, but the true desire of his heart is something else. Is it about freedom? Is it about satisfaction? It's about dealing with that death drive sort of thing. And so I think that's why the film is, is really, it's a lot richer than just the typical kind of go shoot him up, go do the violent thing and then come back and then you can have a farm or something like that. You know, yeah, the, the, the scene where he meets the kid in the, in the grocery store, I think, I think is a, a really wonderful, just kind of Ryan, I don't know where that falls on, on your list of snippets from, from <laughs> best to worst. <laughs> Cause no, I, I know you I said like a few, one. there yeah. are a few vignettes that you really appreciated. I, I think that that sequence is, sort of echoed in the um there's the scene where he he gives over some of his his rodeo gear to a younger friend of his and then he challenges him to wrestle in the living room and it's just this this wonderful moment um not only because it's obviously dealing with a lot of his internal conflict and his own self-doubt and uh, all of that stuff that i i think the scene is quite all but explicitly about but one of the things that affects me so much about that scene is to, you know, keep it with what we've been saying all along is that despite what he has experienced and despite what Lane has experienced, it never crosses his mind that he shouldn't encourage this this young man to to go and ride a horse or to uh, perform in a rodeo or to become a cowboy. It never crosses his mind that, hey, you know, my skull got crushed by a horse's hoof. Maybe I should try and bend my friend's trajectory away from that eventuality. No, it's to him. It's just like, well, I I mean, uh, I hate that this happened to me, but I, I, I'm not even going to give it up from after that. And it's it, and it would just be a shame if someone else were deprived of everything that this sport and this lifestyle gave to me up before it took something away. And I just, I, I always find that really, really touching just that notion of you, you know, you could see his internal conflict being pushed out on other people in ways that are, you know, maybe a little bit more conducive to a conventional drama. And maybe that would be more entertaining uh, in some respects. But I, I, I do think that while each individual scene may seem slow in and of itself. I always think there's there, there's a real sort of present internal conflict that animates all of it that I'm I, I'm able to link into and it, it keeps me really engaged. Ryan, let's um let's start talking about some of your list of uh, of, of cinema verite films that you enjoyed. You mentioned the Florida Project already. What else What else yeah, you got on your uh, list there? And yeah, F- Florida Project. I, I thought did a good job of kind of doing what what we're talking about, like putting us in this world with these uh, uh, different characters, but really letting it breathe. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's not just quick cutting scenes. It's, it's, you're getting to hang out with them and really watching them live in their, in their skin and stuff for long takes. Um, did we all see, did we all see Tangerine too? Mm-hmm. I actually yeah. missed that one. I, I, I mm. uh, haven't seen it yet, which sucks. Cause it's about Echo Park in my old neighborhood. <laughs> I think you um, did oh, yeah. that one, right? Yeah, I do too. I do too. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Roma, the Quran oh, film, okay. you know, long takes, like literally like entire scenes are just long takes, non-actors, but I'm in totally engaged. Even the, you know, entire scenes where she's just literally just mopping. Like, I'm like, yes, like, give me more of this, you know? Uh, uh, and then, uh, another one, bad Lieutenant, 
Um, <laughs> you've seen the, the original Bad Lieutenant is kind of a very cinema verite film. It's a weird one, you know, with a weird that's kind of more on the Safdie brothers s side of what sure. I'm talking about, where. Yeah, you're, you're watching this kind of guy just go off the handle, but it's like long, uninterrupted takes, and you're kind of hanging out with him. Um, I think those are all good examples of the style used well uh, uh, or in a, engaging and effectively. Where, yeah, those are those are the ones I came up with. Yeah, you can definitely you... see a lot of Abel Ferreira in in the Safdie brothers, uh, like DNA, oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. All right, but before we continue, we got to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Skillshare. Look, you know the deal. Skillshare is an online learning community where you can connect with other like-minded people and creatives and where you can explore projects that you're passionate about. And this is why Skillshare is really so cool because you can unleash your creativity and you can pursue your passions, but right from the comfort of your own home. They offer thousands of classes for creative and curious people such as yourselves. And um, I've actually taken a lot of advantage of what they have to offer. Most recently, as some of you might know, I've um, started doing some production work for a big media company and I've wanted to kind of just spruce up on certain things on the side of digital, which is kind of taking over everything. And so they have all kinds of classes on like ethical design, on UX, on UI, on all kinds of things pertaining to like artivism and inclusive design. And it's really just kind of um, like a wonderful library um, of stuff that I have found great. Uh, benefit from um, but they also do other stuff too like iphone photography drone filming editing classes for improving improving productivity video for ig etc etc so really if there's something that you're interested in as far as um, to kind of stimulate that creative impulse skillshare probably has some sort of class for you so if you want to explore your creativity and connect with some cool people, go to Skillshare.com slash SMTM. That's Skillshare.com slash SMTM. And you're actually going to get a free trial of their premium membership. So go check out Skillshare.com slash SMTM to get a free trial of the premium membership. All right. Now back to the show. Have you guys ever seen F for Fake? Yeah. Hell yeah. Great yeah, movie. yeah. I think that wasn't yeah. that on your list that you wanted to cover. It is on my list. I'd I'd love to do it because it's kind of you know it's all about the medium of art and what is art, right. but it's done in a sort of documentary, but it's obviously manipulative. And and this is the thing that I I this would be one of my like ten rules for life if I were going to write a, a book, right? And it would be that there is no such thing as reality in the sense that like what? Um, when we're when we're speaking. When we're speaking about something, we're always using myth. We're always creating some sort of fabrication with it. I think that all of human consciousness and language and communication and experience is always related to um, some sort of imaginative construction. So documentary for me is still some sort of fabrication. Like, just think about it. Like, why is the story told from this perspective? Why is this dialogue cut off here? What questions were asked to the respondent? Um, what kind of music is being used to create some sort of affect in, in the person? Um, we could talk about the theory of the cut. Like, what does the cut do insofar as linking together certain shots um, to create a different understanding of things? Like, even when I tell a story, especially... Um, and I'm learning this more and more living outside of America, that American English has certain characteristics to it. And Southern Californian um, English has certain characteristics. And then Austin has certain characteristics and they're all enfolded. One of the ways when I tell a story, I can tell you the exact same story with the exact same words about the exact same event. 
but I'm going to punctuate it differently. I'm going to pace it differently. I'm going to infuse different emotion into it differently. And it's going to create a different experience in the translation of the person who's receiving it, who themselves are individuals, who are societal, who are cultural, and who are human. And so there's all these different dimensions of experience and thought and meaning that all get folded into any sort of experience of information, whether it's documentary or whether it's narrative. Now, we could be talking about degrees of fabrication, but I don't even know that I'm really interested in that question because then that still is trying to like approximate to which one is more real. The thing that's most fascinating to me is what I was talking about when I responded to Ryan earlier about what does the image that we're presented with, whether it's a sound image or a video image or a series of images, what does that do insofar as it shocks us to think about something? And the, the reason that this story is so interesting is one, it's conscious stylistic like hybridizing of the quote documentary versus narrative forms, but also more importantly, just the conflict is already there by virtue of the subject matter. And that's what is so important. That's why this film for me is successful is because the subject matter just speaks volumes by itself. And so if you want to make a great film, like the most important thing is have really powerful subject matter. And that is usually as humans who like to think about other human experiences, it usually has something to do with a human subject, right? But not always because we also love documentaries about animals. But of course, with heavy, heavy layers of anthropomorphism on top of them in music and orchestry and, and stuff like that. So, so for me, that's the most interesting thing is interesting story that shocks you to thinking that transcends out of kind of like the confines that we typically are structured by. That's what's, that's what's most important to me. I was just saying, yes, the, the, that's why the only pure cinema, Austin, is one single unbroken take for uh, however long the length of the film is, if you cut one time, you have told a lie. Go on, Even then, Raymond. why is the camera? Why is the camera's aperture oh, open I, here sorry. to there? I'm sorry. Let, let it me, has to be. Let me rephrase everything. that. Yeah, it, it is one unbroken take, but from every, ang every possible angle, angle one hundred angles. Yes. Of, so God. Of, yeah, so yes or virtual reality <laughs> it's a choose choose your oh, own yeah. adventure movies are the only movies that are real um no i was i was gonna say uh ryan brought up something about uh roma that you said you can you can watch uh mopping for you oh, know, yes. 10 15 minutes and just be all... drawn in and i think that there is the equivalent of that in this film there, there is this sort of process and precision oriented uh, filmmaking in this where you're just you're watching him train a horse for a while the, the, for the, example the, 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 that is the scene where i felt the, that this style really worked where it's like the, the scene where it's just the, him and the other guy it's, talking and it's you're just watching the camera the, held back and they're just doing jump cuts and, you're seeing the process uh, in real time of them getting this horse to, uh, you know to do what they want which i was was very interesting to watch every second of that scene but that's where i felt like it worked, but I didn't. There wasn't as enough of that to fill the hour and forty-seven sure. minutes. But I I bring that scene up because while your mileage may vary, I think there is something about. Do, do y'all ever go on YouTube and just watch? I, I I watch so many videos of just like wood turning, where guys will be oh, making yeah. like a bowl or a cup or whatever. It's hypnotizing. And it's just 
Yeah, it's just kind of transfixing. Hypno- yeah, hypnotizing is the exact exact word that I would One of my favorites for. is this guy that makes, like, swimming pools and shit. I don't know where he is in, like, Indonesia or something. And he just, like, makes fucking swimming pools out of the ground by just using his hands and, like, bamboo and shit mm-hmm. like that. Know and he'll make these, like, really... Yeah, these really elaborate swimming pools and houses, and it's fucking great, yeah. The reason that I bring that up is because I do think it, in addition to whatever itch that is being scratched in the back of our brain that just finds it satisfying to, to watch something done well, I think that there is an aspect to this movie that beyond the sort of fetishization of process, that, that just the sort of lived in kind of humanity of it all that, that we when we first see Brady I think in the first scene it's literally just him waking up in and it's taken him a long time and it just takes him a while to make some coffee and he takes some painkillers and he checks the scar on the back of his head and you just get the sense that the the, the sort of mundanity of it it just immediately feels real and once again, while your mileage may vary, I think that that kind of does something, at least for me as a viewer, where you just you just get drawn in because even if it's not something that is extremely interesting with regards to like narrative conflict, um, just the the fact that it doesn't feel like you're being necessarily like lied to or manipulated, even though you are, because Austin, as Austin was saying all storytelling involves some conscious manipulation there there just is a real sense from that moment that what you're seeing is like a a proper elision of of fact and fiction and um yeah i mean it's it it, it, for me it's it it is sublime and uh, for you maybe not so much ryan but it's one of those things where i I maybe could have guessed that that would be your response <laughs> coming uh, coming away from this. And like <laughs> like we said, you know, to each their own. It's definitely the uh, kind it, of movie that I can imagine turning a lot of people off. Do we do we also see? Because Ryan, you like early Terrence Malick, right? Oh yeah, like Badlands, Days, Days of Heaven. Days of Heaven. You know, I like Tree of yeah. Life. Oh, you did like Tree of Life. Okay, yeah. I I think I like like when 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 Malik gets to like to the Wonder and like Knight of Cups and stuff like that. It's almost like he's he's starting to do like parodies of his own work, which is sometimes it's, it's, it's borders on self-parody. You brought those movies up because that is the, that the vibe of those movies is is a lot of what, what reminds me of the writer where where Ter- no, I was good. Yeah, yeah. Terrence Malick kind of just lost. He's like, okay, I can kind of. Instead of it really feeling like uh, like what you've said, Raymond, like something that is more than the sum of its parts, which I would say Tree of Life is, like, like yes, each each scene and shot is beautiful, but the whole thing is like, wow, what a great work of art. Whereas I think he's tried and, trying to do that with these kind of smaller dramas and stuff with To the Wonder and Night of Cups, but it just so feels like somebody just letting the camera roll to let the camera roll and maybe we'll catch something beautiful. And that's what I felt with the writer. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, Well, it's, I mean, on that note, I will say, and not to get too far down the the Malik rabbit hole, but I actually am am the rare defender of uh, a lot of his late work. (laughs) I would would guess that you would have said that, Raven. (laughs) And while I do recognize, and and even just a moment ago, completely was willing to admit that uh, some of his work does sort of border on self-parody at points, I think there's a certain audacity to approaching a film with the visual aesthetic that he does but setting it within a modern context 
And what I mean by that is like Badlands and Days of Heaven, those those look fucking beautiful for obvious reasons because A, they look fucking beautiful, but also <laughs> those those periods just kind of naturally seem better suited to that sort of rhythm of filmmaking. But then mm. when I watch To the Wonder, there's this weird thing that's happening where like while a lot of it does, you know, maybe feel a little bit self-parody, there are some scenes where he's like he's shooting a sonic drive-through the way that he would shoot a big open cornfield underneath a sunset <laughs> and i'm just like well yeah. fuck me how do you make sonic look so beautiful <laughs> and there is there is just something to that where i think because the way that we are conditioned by by visual language in general that this kind of aesthetic within a modern context just does feel maybe a little bit stilted in some respects but I, I I think that even if that may be the case, I still applaud filmmakers for 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 trying to envision this world or at least represent some facsimile of this world in a way that, you know, is a, a little bit more in tune with their own rhythm as artists. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good for for trying. I'll give you that. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about Terrence Malick. One, when, when I saw Nomadland, which was my first Chloe Zhao film. Um, I'd heard of the writer, but I'd never seen it. And um, so I thought a lot about Malick. And I think we brought Malick's influence potentially up with regards to just like some of the shots where there would be these poetic musings. And then all of a sudden there'd be like, a, a you know, like a cut to like some seagulls flying up ahead or some shit like that, you know, which is very sort of Malick-esque. And with this one, I was thinking a lot about Badlands, right? Because it takes place in the Badlands. And um, so for me, there's like some very clear inspiration between Malik's style, his more poetic slow musings, and what Zhao does. I don't know if she's, has she spoken about her indebtedness or her fascination yeah. with Malik? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, she really, yeah, she yeah. really likes Terrence Malick stuff. Because that's, that's kind of a visual inspiration or comparison that she can't really escape from at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like a lot of, that a lot of folks bring that up in interviews and she's, yeah, she, she really, uh, really digs Terrence Malick. All right. Now, Raymond, do you always have something interesting to say about production or aesthetic or design or something like that? Do you have anything that you haven't said yet? Anything that you can spill out on us? Any film, filmic uh, tidbits that you can share about either Zhao or about this film in particular? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned earlier some of the some of this film's provenance with regards to uh, the way that it, it came together really hastily. Um you know, there there are a handful of weird stories of how she she almost quit on this film a couple of times that financing was pulled at one point and uh, then it, at an, another point her apartment got broken into and her hard drives were stolen and stuff like that. Um, so it was it, it was a, a real uphill battle. Um, not that making a movie ever isn't, especially in uh, the independent world. Um, but I think that one of the beautiful things that she said in one interview I was listening to was that there were a lot of times where not only 
it would have felt very easy to give up, but it kind of felt like the right thing to do because it just felt like a sunk cost after a lot of their equipment got stolen and stuff like that. But she sort of just kept coming back to the thing that made her want to make a movie with, with Brady and his friends in the first place, which was that she really cared about them and she really just wanted to be able to capture these moments with them. And, and she was really sort of honored and humbled by the trust that they put in her. And uh, she just didn't want to disrespect that. So I, I, in, in a way, you know, it, do I have anything super interesting about the behind the scenes on this? Yeah, maybe, maybe one or two things that I've mentioned, but more than anything, I think what animates this project and what makes it so remarkable uh, is that it, it really is just a, a labor of love. And um, they, they don't, they, they don't try to, to twist it or reframe it too much. It really is just a, a, about engaging these men in the, the, the moments where they are as they are and just celebrating that as it is without any kind of like judgment or aspirational narrative thrown on top of it. It just, it just engages its subjects with, with real, uh, a real sense of, of humanism and a lack of judgment. And I, I think that's something that's really beautiful about it. Final thoughts, Ryan? Um, if you'd like to see the Hollywood eyes version of this, watch eight seconds. <laughs> oh my God. With Luke Perry. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, Luke Perry. Hell yeah. That is, that is definitely the Hollywood eyes version. And I too would sort of recommend it. I actually, I was obsessed with Luke Perry because when I was younger, Beverly Hills, I mean, he was, he was the guy, Dylan, man, he was, he was the bad boy. And, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. All right, cool. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap things up there. Um, next week, as I said, we're going to be talking about Hell or High Water. So make sure you check that out so you can tune in with us and be kind of caught up. You can email us, movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. Give us your thoughts on The Rider. Give us your thoughts on other cinema verite type of films. We're going to keep the neo-Western train rolling with something a, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more action intensive next week. I think that every movie that is ever made in the United States is a Western. And I, I have a theory about this. They're Westerns and they're horrors. That's what they are. Every movie is a Western and a horror. It, last week we were, I, we were talking about a, a Western with a, a VW bus instead of a horse. That's what I'm saying. I'm just, it's just, okay. Uh, hit us up on uh, a- ants. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I can, I can uh, figure it out. Okay. I right. can figure it out. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, hey, toy story clearly is, um, uh, okay. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you can also hit us up on Twitter at SMTM underscore POD. We're always tweeting out like articles and, and follow up kind of things, uh, related to the discussions that we have. So give us a follow over there. Also, we're, um, what else did I do? Oh, call us at, uh, one, two, one, three, five, three, four, eight, eight, zero, seven. That's one, two, one, three, five, three, four, eight, eight, zero, seven. You can leave us a voicemail. We're going to have a mailbag, uh, episode coming up here. So make sure you get in your thoughts, questions, conspiracy theories, fan theories, uh, movie suggestions, whatever. Uh, make sure you get in touch with us and I think that's pretty much it uh, where can people find you on the internet Ryan Ryan Shorts I'm uh, been really slow about making them but I'm going to start cranking them out here soon Ryan Shorts on all the platforms sick and Raymond uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. And if you want to find more movies like The Writer, I would highly recommend Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women, which is currently streaming on the Criterion channel. 
Awesome, and you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Hayden or Insta, AOS underscore H-A-Y. I've got a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. We are back. We've been doing all kinds of episodes, so go check that out, Owls at Dawn. Let's get out of here. Ryan, send us out, brother. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. This has been Show Me the Meeting.